the Harley Heaven Rumble Podcast with your hosts, Mick Sinclair and Ben McIntyre. All right, we are back. Harley Heaven Rumble podcast. This is show number 33. I'm Mick Sinclair, and today I'm back with the legendary sales manager of Harley Heaven Melbourne, Ben McIntyre. How are you, mate? You nearly messed that up, mate. Fuck, 33 shows in. I almost mucked up the intro. <laughs> I'm good, though. It's <laughs> summer now, actually, so I'm really good. Is it just gone summer? Oh, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, gone down summer yesterday. Yep. So Summer's here, the birds are chirping, the sun is shining. Mate, that sort of stuff. Do you want to start your own podcast about <laughs> about the birds and bees or something? Birds and bees. In for a good show this week, we're going to have a quick chat about the XR750 and the video that the motor company just dropped on YouTube yesterday about that bike. And then we're back talking about how shit works. And this time around, it's all about that Harley Rumble, Benny, that iconic sound that the HD motorcycles punch out. It is, man. We're going to talk about why it makes the noise it makes. It's very it's unique. Else. Yeah. And I'm interested to know why so i actually don't know why our bikes sound different to everyone else's so there you go i'm gonna handball that one to you when we get to it sit back and just uh learn a thing or two it's pretty easy when i break it down actually really yeah yeah good what else we got uh, before we get into it we've got the dandy shop ride you're leading that tomorrow oh, night i'm gonna lead that one just tonight when the show airs yeah so thursday evening from dandy nong we're gonna leave that dandy nong store at 6 p.m just do our regular loop of the peninsula which is always really fun how far we go will be depending how far i can go because i'm going to be on the live wire how far was it last time didn't check surely it wouldn't be more than the live wire you i reckon 200 k's out of the live wire when we did the demo day yeah i've got to get home too and back to danny or back to the city the next day though oh no i can charge it tomorrow night yeah yeah be good test for it though Mm. (laughs) be really good test (laughs) And that should be fun. I'm looking forward to, I might even give customers the right of it. You know, I might fill out, take out some blank demo forms or whatever. And if anyone's interested in having a quick blast from Safety Beach, pending on, I've got 40Ks to get back home. Um, It'll be a bit of fun. It's going to be interesting. I think the weather's going to be good too. It's supposed to be 24 and sunny tomorrow. So I think we had a cracking turnout too. I got a good feeling about this. I know Matt Mueller from Danny Nong, who got his um, breakout back yesterday. And it looks incredible, by the way. Um, he had some really cool paint done, but he's got a whole bunch of dudes coming too. So I reckon we're going to end up 80-odd. Awesome. Yeah, should be good. wonder if they'll be able to keep up with your live wire. No chance. No chance, he says. Uh, he's throwing no, down the gauntlet. No, it's not like that. It's not about keeping up. I stay on 105 and don't go over the speed limit. Well, I do. Maybe that 5Ks uh, within reason. but tolerance it's, of the speed limit, Mick. It's just a cruisy shop ride, mate. There's no need to try and keep up with this uh Cruise along. Make it in one piece with no speeding fines. Mm-hmm. What do you know about uh, model year 21? There's some info that come out about that yesterday. Yeah, so Harley, you're going to start shipping uh, model year 21 display bikes to us uh, the start of January on January 5th. So when you say shipping, where are they shipping from? Shipping are they shipping from, from out Sydney. from our DC here or yeah. Milwaukee? Not from Sydney. So they're already on the, on the ocean at the right. moment. So. so they're shipping on the 5th. They'll be installed by the 7th. Uh, then you got a PDM and all that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I give it a week after that. I would say is that what the time? Yeah, what yeah. the general? Because we've got a lot of bikes coming for customers over the next little while, so PD's pretty chockers. So that's display bikes. So when can people? If people are placing orders now on twenty one models, which they potentially could, I guess. Yeah, they can. We've taken deposits on twenty one models. So uh, as to when the customer ones will be delivered, I'm not sure actually. Didn't, didn't read, say. Didn't see in that email. I just mm. noticed there was demos and display stuff. Yeah, cool. I know they're going to contact us next week about what we want. Yeah. So hopefully we can get some cool colours and bits and pieces because there's a lot of black out of there at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some cool colours in that colour chart. Mm. So mm. Uh, Pan America, there's news on that too, that which we got yesterday in the same email. Yeah, so the global reveal is now going to be February the 23rd. Okay. Our time. A little bit later than what I actually thought and said a couple of weeks ago in this show. Yeah. So when it'll be interesting to see when we actually get them. I think that they're doing the rounds in Europe at the moment. I've they seen are. a few European dealers posting videos and photos of it. Yeah, there's definitely um, a display model um, getting doing the a dealer tour in Europe. Obviously, we haven't got one here. Mm. Maybe we get that, but I think that they would be on the water too, wouldn't they? Or not far away if they're going to do that global launch on the 23rd, which is it's the end of Feb. Um, so it's still, you know, two months after mm. the 21 launch. It's not far, though. No, it's not. So maybe they're not on the water yet, but I think they would be on the water and almost in store by the time they do that global reveal. I hope so. It's normally how it works. Yeah. Well, not far off, at least. Mm. Before we talk about the XR750, I will mention that uh, guaranteed delivery for Christmas is now finished with Harley Heaven Online, so... We had a sale on the weekend, man. We had like, you know, twelve hundred orders or something. It was packed, such a huge success. Um, but I'm pretty sure Ozpost have said mm. the cutoffs now. So, um, you know, if you want to risk it, you can still do it. We'll still get your order out. But if you're really looking for that uh, Harley Davidson Christmas gift, I suggest coming in store and picking it up in person because that's the only way you're going to be guaranteed to get it. Yeah, hundred percent. So. Let's talk about the XR750 and how this topic come up. So I got here this morning. We had no idea what the fuck we were going to talk about for this podcast, which is pretty much the case these days. And you told me about the video that hmm. Harley just dropped in, and I hadn't seen it yet, but I sat there and watched it before. I didn't realize I was going to go for 33 minutes. <laughs> um, but that was called... It's market f- research, Mick. Yeah. It's still work. Absolutely. I was working, it, but I had a plane in the background as well on, on another screen. But there's a called 50 Years of Wind. So, wind. 50 Years of Winds. The Harley-Davidson XR750 it really dominated the flat track racing, you know, for nearly 50 years, becoming the most successful radis- racing motorcycles of all time. Uh, the new film, 50 Years of Winds, tells the story of this legendary machine... Um, in the words of the racers who made it famous. Benny, the XR750, where do we start with that? And, you know, what did you think of the film and, and what can you tell us about the bike? You know, for me, that that quote, bec- the most successful racing motorcycle of all time. When I think of racing motorcycles, I don't think of a... The, when I think of the most successful motorcycle of all time, I don't think of a Harley. When you think of racing, you think of mm. MotoGP, Supercross, Motocross, Speedway... Flat track not being overly huge here in Australia, the XR50 doesn't come into my mind when I think of that. But when you look at the success and the results this bike's had in American flat track over the many years, it's quite, um, it's, it, it's, what am I trying to say? 
it's it's valid to call yeah. it that. Yeah. I think a lot of it's to do with the rules of uh, the flat track. Like the bike really hasn't changed much in that time. There's no other racing like you're into to motocross and dirt bike racing. Um, you look at how much they change, change models and rules and stuff in how much development there's been in motocross in the last, what, 20 or 30 years? Heaps. So lots of new models, lots of stuff. But this has stayed pretty much the same, like, standard bike and standard rules through those 50 years. So they haven't really needed to change. So the bike, since its inception, has, like, it's gone through little changes and chassis changes and all sorts of stuff. But it hasn't really changed a lot. Um, But if you want to talk about the history of it, basically... Like as far as what I'm concerned, the history of the XR750 really lies from 1934 when uh, Class C racing was launched in America. Mm-hmm. Class C racing was a, a form of uh, flat track racing that was sort of thrown out there to the public. You had to have a like a production bike that you could ride to the track. When we spoke about the four brothers or the four blokes who started Harley, mm. they really started that class and created that with the AMA, yeah, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. So Indian and Harley were the only American motorcycle f- manufacturers after uh, 1931 when uh, Schwinn shut down Excelsior. Mm-hmm. And then the the racing classes were becoming a little bit... Did uh, you just say Schwinn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As in the pushies? The same, yeah. Really? So Stone Excelsior, yeah. Didn't know that. There you go. That's cool. I like Schwinn pushies. There you go, man. I had no idea. Yeah. Cool. As you were. Uh, So basically, Indian and Harley, this is in the grips of the depression. They needed something for to get people excited about. um, And that's where they pressured the AMA to create this class called Class C. Mm -hmm. So basically, you would buy a bike off of the showroom floor. Yeah. Ride what you race, what you ride. Yeah. And then that's when Harley brought in. like the R models and, and Sports Scout and stuff. So you had WLDRs uh, a little bit later in, I think, 37. And RLDRs were, were the first in 34. And then after that, you had um, WRs and KRs and eventually XRs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then XRs didn't come out until... 69? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they started development, sort of started, and then 70 was the first model season. So Okay. There was a... Very limited time and money around that era. So Harley's racing manager, Dick O'Brien, and his team used elements of the existing design Mm -hmm. uh, to put together an overhead valve racer. But rather than start from scratch, they decided to modify their existing overhead valve engine, which was the 900cc sporty motor. Uh, The model designation was XLR, uh, which was magneto-equipped, a three-inch bore, 3.8-inch stroke, but it was actually too big to be uh, legal in this class of racing. So being 900cc, the maximum for overhead valve bike was uh, 750. Mm-hmm. So they basically gave it a shorter stroke uh, with shorter conrods and reduced the displacement to 750cc, which is 46 cubic inches, which was legal for that class of racing. It wasn't all smooth sailing, though, was it, like in... You know, in the notes I've got here, I can no see way, in, not 19, in 70 and 71, they were just overheating. Yeah, so they were still all iron. So you hear the, the term iron, iron head sportsters? Yeah. This is where it comes from. So they were cast iron top ends on on sportsters back then, hence iron head sportsters. Yeah. Uh, then for the 72 model season, they redesigned them with an all-alloy head 
cylinder package and bigger bore and stroke, but for the same 750cc displacement. So really those really early ones were basically like sports to top ends in a KR TT racing frame, Mm -hmm. whereas in 72 they basically redid the whole thing, all alloy and and a lot better, and then they could just beat on it all day. Um, But use... To keep the cost down, they used the KRTT frame, which they already had, which was already fairly successful, um, and then used uh, Siriani forks, girling rear shocks, fuel tank fenders, rear seat, fender combination were all fiberglass to keep the weight down, with snap-down seat covers with a little foam cushion. Mm-hmm. A little bit of comfort. I haven't heard of those two suspension companies. Yeah, old suspension, been around for a long time. Were they? Mm. Uh and then for the AMA rules at the time, they had to, as with most racing, had to do homologations. Yeah. So and how many How many is that they have to produce for 200. homologation? 200. There's really good stories actually about homologation in all sorts of motor racing codes over the years, like whether it's two wheels or four wheels. But Harley did it quite simply by offering them at dealerships for just under three and a half grand. Three, three and a half grand for yeah. a, that's pretty cheap, I guess. With today inflation, I'm guessing that's around twenty grand, yeah. maybe a little bit more. Yeah, which is still fairly cheap which for like a top level flat track bike. I would have thought, like, how much would they you were, spend on they a were top dead, level? They were dead stock though, so that's like buying a dead stock bike. You still have to play around with it to go racing. I would have thought. Well, that's buying it like a race ready XR750. Well, that's not bad then. I mean, if you were going to buy a, a street ride 750, brand new. Yeah, I guess you'd probably you'd get away with twenty grand because like they weren't they weren't a road bike that they were selling like we sell Sportsters now. They were selling them as an XR seven fifty four racing yeah in the showroom as if you were going to buy like a yep. motocross bike yeah that's a cool. racing motocross bike yeah. So what about good. the road racing version of the XR seven fifty the XRTT? Do you know much about that? Yeah, so the road racing version used a aluminium oil tank. Uh, they had a larger six-gallon fuel tank, mm-hmm. uh, fiberglass fairing, so it had a full-size fairing oh, yeah. with a windscreen and stuff in it, um, an extra heat shielding to protect the rider's left leg when riding in the tuck position. How big was that windscreen if this was a road racing version? They're like a big bubble sort of, like real 70s-looking road racer bike, so it's this massive big bubble fairing. Yeah. You can Similar to a ro- what road glides look like now, but a smaller version? No, 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 more like a sports bike. Like a 70s style oh, yeah, sports okay. bike, like a big round bulbous. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Um, but like because you've got all that around, you've got the exhaust there, you've got your feet in a different spot, there had to be extra heat shielding to protect the rider's left leg because you had a two into two exhaust system that was fairly high coming out the left side in that sort of tucked in position. Uh, the centre of the top of the fuel tank was a leather pad with a round cutoff. For the left side filler cap, like a dirt tracker, it was used the same forks, and same rear shocks, uh, two 36mm Makuni carbs, which I think looks awesome, hanging off of the side of them. Mm-hmm. They've got the two Makunis with the big air filters uh, and then oh, yeah. instru- instrumentation on it so you could see how fast you're going. Is that where like SNS draw the inspiration from for their filter with that comes out with the two pods? Uh, I don't know, actually. Probably I would, I'd say no. Okay. Because these, these had the two carbies on the back of the cylinders. And then they got the two big air filters sticking backwards, so your legs sort of go yeah, around okay. forward. And and it completely different. Behind, yeah. Yeah. Um, but unlike the dirt tracker, it came with brakes. So that <laughs> the normal XR750 had no brakes. No brakes it, at all? Yeah, because they're just going round and round in circles. 
I've seen them. I mean, I've rode around in circles with. before and have gone for the brakes a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it is no front brakes, so the front end doesn't slide out. Yeah. Because if you're going f- like 100 mile an hour round and round in circles and grab a front brake, it's just going to wash out the front end. So mm. it's probably more of a safety thing, I guess. But the Makes TT sense. had uh, rear brakes and in the front it had uh, four-link leading uh, shoe drum on the front with uh, two twin leading drums paired side by side, which I think always looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. XRTT was really the final example of a competition motorcycle with drum brakes superseded by discs on all other racing bikes due to you know unsprung weight and all that sort of thing. Um, the large drum is quite heavy. Yeah. And then if you've got a disc, it's going to be a lot less. Yeah. Um, the official horsepower was never actually published by Harley, which is pretty typical. They don't actually still release horsepower on the majority of bikes. Uh, but in 1972... Why, they don't, they, why don't they do that? I, don't, I think because like, the big twins are all about torque. Mm-hmm. So they're really torquey monster. They're not and if you renowned. say oh, it's got 70 or 80 horsepower, it doesn't sound like a lot compared to a 200 horsepower. It doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. Like if you've got a bike with 200 horsepower, like a super sport, it's all in the top end, whereas these have got it just down low in the mid-range. So I think it probably undersells the amount of power the bike's got. Mm-hmm. But these had roughly 70 to 80 horsepower and then increasing estimated was up to about 100 horsepower or more by 2008. So they pack a punch, especially on a fairly light bike. Let's talk about the success now. We mentioned it in the intro that it's one of the most winningest motorcycles of all time. And mm. I think a lot of people would call bullshit on that. But when you check out the results from 1972 to 2008, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like I said before, the rules didn't really change. That class of racing the vehicles didn't really change much o- over those years. It's not like you had different models. Um like they do in MotoGP or things like that. So riders on XR750s have won 29 of the 37 AMA Grand National Championships from 1972 to 2008, inclusive. Um, Besides having more wins than any other bike in AMA racing, it has been called the most successful race bike of all time and has claimed to more wins than any other racing motorcycle in history. It's a pretty impressive stat in terms of championships at any level at any country of any type of racing Mm. to win 29 out of 37. I think it's pretty cool that the bikes didn't really change much in that time. Like that. I wonder what won the eight that they didn't win. I'm assuming it was Indian. Uh, Indian and I think, yeah, like Yamaha. Really? Yeah, Yamaha won. They they had a a bike in there for a little while. Actually, it's in that video from Harley. Was it? Yeah. Clearly, I didn't watch it all. (laughs) Yeah. What bike did Yamaha have in it? I don't know what it was called. I'll go back. It's in there, though. Um, in actually, another interesting thing was in '89, uh, Lou Garenza Sr. built yeah. a, a hill climb version of a XR750 with an extended swing arm, made the bike half as long again. Uh, he adapted it with mechanical fuel injection and nitrous oxide. Oh. And they must have been a steep hill, yeah, estimated <laughs> about 150 horsepower. Jeepers. But the overstressed engine didn't last long. It held together long enough to win the AMA Hill Climb Championship. But after that, who knows? Yeah. Nice. As with the, the KR, um, customers began asking for a street legal XR from its debut. 
The motor company was pretty slow to capitalise on this demand by the sound of it, um, and they finally introduced the Sportster XR1000 street bike in their 1983 model year, which is 13 years after the first XR750 racer. What do you know about the XR1000? Look, all the way along, like talking about Class C races, um, you had RLDRs, WLDRs, WRSKRs, um, and customers always wanted like street legal versions of race bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Harley, even though it took them a while, they brought out the XR1000 in 1983 model year, um, which basically used the XR750 heads but kept the Sportster engine frame, other bits and pieces, and they were nearly twice as much of a base model sporty um, and didn't sell particularly well. Um, but like now they're quite sought after. Like they're selling for reasonably good money, like mid-20s now. What's the XR you got over there in the corner that sold? I just noticed it as I walked out the door before. Oh, the 883R? That's oh, sort of it? like a modern-day interpretation yeah. of it, stylistically. Yeah. Yep. But it's not exactly the same. For those no, of you got listening it. home, it's an XL883R. Yeah. So it's basically to look like a yeah. XR, but still That's why I thought I just didn't stop to look at it. I just glanced over and, and saw it, and I thought, no, that's cool. Yeah, no, these were a little bit different. So XR1000s, basically, they had the twin carby and the high pipes and everything. They're pretty cool. There's been a few for sale in Australia I've seen recently, for like mid-20s, which seems like, to me, like a, I think that's quite a good price considering they didn't sell many, and it's... You're never going to lose money on that. Yeah. And it's a like a cool individual sort of bike. And if you're going to spend that sort of money, why not get something a bit unusual? When did they get rid of the XR1000? Uh, well, you could still actually buy the engine up until only a couple of years ago in the Screaming Eagle catalogue. I think in oh, yeah. 13, 14, you could buy... I don't think you could buy the whole motor, but... You don't know when they stopped production of them? buy bits and pieces, but I don't think you can... Well, you can't get them now. No, I'm no. not sure exactly what year. Yeah, okay. Got, gotcha. In, wow, I th- maybe 14 or something like that. Okay. I think when they changed, when it, whenever they changed the rules in the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. The 750 here were, had some success and it was quite popular success with jumping. Now, when you think of Harleys and jumping, they, they, the two don't normally go that well together. But Unless you include one interesting man's name and that's yes. Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel. So Evil rode a Harley. Um, and he rode an XR750. Uh, do you know anything about that? Yeah, he began jumping at uh, right in the height of his career um, between December 1970 and October 76, okay. although failed practice jump was in 77, captured on film. Uh, prior to the failed jump, he jumped trucks, cars, both, all sorts of stuff on the XR750. There's lots of good images of him flying through the air on the XR750. Yeah. And at the museum, they've got yeah. the 750 yeah. uh, mounted in the air. Yeah. That does make sense. Mounted in the air, but it is. It is. <laughs> Which is super cool. I mean, yeah. the longest jump he made was over 129 feet which was 19 cars. I mean, in terms of jumps now on a dirt bike, 129 foot still pretty big. Yeah. Um, and on a heavy because like, it's not like these weighed 100 and what, what does a dirt bike weigh, 100 kilos, a bit over 100 kilos? Yeah, I don't know, something like that. Whereas these were relatively heavy, like pretty big bike. And to jump that far in 1971 is pretty outrageous, I think. It is. Um, I mean, the progressions now is like 300 foot for a dirt bike when they're talking about records. That's crazy. It is crazy. That's but it's all relevant. Bikes are quicker, lighter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Evil still had big plums back then because there was yeah, wasn't man. many dudes jumping 130 no, foot no on way. on Harley's. Well, think about how long people have been doing backflips and stuff for. It's only in the last 15 or 20 years. Yeah, I know. So, like to be jumping that far over that much shit in the 70s is pretty wild. Mm. What was the last year for production for the XR750? You know, well, technically they were still making parts and stuff for them late, and. By the end, they were really all the racers were using their own chromoly frames and their own wheels, and then they would change the wheels between spoked and um, cast wheels depending on the racetrack yeah. and things like that. So really, I don't know when they change wheels like spoked and cast depending on the track. Yeah. So why? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much more about late model um, flat track racing, yeah. but <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. You got me again. Well, we might leave that there unless you've got anything else to talk about the XR. I think it's just a super cool bike. It's one yeah. of my favourite Harleys. I know it is. He's in the top five. We need to get a guest on just to ask that question. <laughs> just run around the dealership and ask all the staff one by one. We'll move on to this week's uh, How Shit Works. Um, now, there is no denying that the Harley Davidson motorcycle has a unique sound, especially if it's been fitted with an aftermarket exhaust. But even with the stock exhaust, it sounds different from, you know, almost every other motorcycle brand. The reason for that sound has to do with the way the engine's designed, right? So I'm going to shut up and going to handball this over to you completely, Benny. Tell us how does this work? Well, it's really a lot to do with the firing sequence of a Harley. So unlike a lot of engines, it might have two crank pins and then they'll fire at different times. Like, for example, a two-cylinder horizontally opposed engine, the pistons are timed so that one fires in one revolution of the crank and the other fires in the other revolution. Whereas in a Harley, you've got one crank pin and you've got two conrods sitting off of it, sort of linked, and then they will fire like one after the other and then it will do an intake... Uh, sorry, an intake stroke and then exhaust stroke and around. So a piston fires and then the next piston fires at 315 degrees. Then there's a 450 degree gap. Then a piston fires again and then again at 315 and then a 405 gap. So basically what you end up getting is bang, bang, and then a bit of a pause and then a bang, bang. And that's what gives it the sound. And that's why even XR750s were quite successful was because of the firing order. So you would get sort of two pistons firing and then it would go around and then around and then bang bang and then around and around and bang bang so you get like a little pause between when they fired which was good for traction i think even in that 750 video some of the early racers talked about it like jay springsteen and things like that they talked about how the and even in um, hill climbing like back in the 30s harleys were quite successful because of that firing sequence so like mm -hmm. it's more than just a noise through the history of Harley, it's actually had an impact on um, racing and the sound and popularity and that sort of stuff. So it's all to do with the firing sequence of the bike. It's interesting. Why does this something I was going to ask you off the top of my head? Why does a V rod sound different to every other so Harley? If you look at a, so these are like your traditional Harley's a forty-five degree push rod, and they've got that single crank pin. And if you look, the two cylinders are, are in a line. The firing sequence of a V-Rod is different and the cylinders are actually staggered. So next time you look at a V-Rod, you'll see that the two cylinders are slightly offset mm -hmm. 
and it's actually a 60 degree v twin so the the combination of it being a, a different um, degree between the cylinders and being offset and the firing sequence that's what gives it a different sound so they don't just fire fire and around like your big twins do so you don't get that bang bang gap bang bang gap yeah so it gives it a different sound it's going to be interesting to hear the pan america yeah well the pan america i think will be an offset 60 degree v-twin like a v-rod so it'll have more of that sort of v-rod v-twin sound as opposed to a traditional harley pop pop bang yeah sort of sound what about these like the streets streets are the same as v-rods so they're offset any of those air cooled 60 degree bikes the cylinders are slightly offset because they They've got a uh, different setup and they fire differently. So. so why does the twin cam and the Milwaukee 8 sound a little bit different? It still has that same rumble, yeah, but they have... Still they, they still the same, but I think some of that's to do with the uh, the valve setup. So basically a twin cam's got one big valve for mm-hmm. the exhaust and one big valve for the intake, whereas Milwaukee 8's has got two smaller ones mm-hmm. so i think it's just more of a brutal bang out of one big hole that makes sense compared to the milwaukee eights which has got the two yeah for sure so okay and that makes that makes a lot of sense twin cams were quite big capacity even compared to evos uh, twin cams are fuel injected so they idle idle a little bit higher mm-hmm. so all of that plays into it a little bit but the same principles there they've got the same firing sequence um same 45 degree engine it's just a slight different sound because of the valves very cool mate anything else on that one that was a really good bit, go. of, good bit of insight so now do you understand why a harley sounds like a i harley. do yeah no, that was very cool mate well done um questions this week now i forgot to ask for some but we uh, did you you got one yeah i got one one from jake and he lives here in melbourne he's seen a bike at Harley Heaven in Sydney, and he's sent through a question asking if uh, we can help him purchase it. Does he need to buy it through them, or can he buy it through us here in Melbourne? And he can do it either way. He can do it either way. So it's probably a little bit easier for us to do it for you. We'll it's do all the running around. Yeah, and to get the bike brought down. Yeah, we just had one arrive today. So we sold it here. We got photos from the guys in Sydney, gave it to the customer. We took a deposit just pending final inspection. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it gets here and it's nothing like what you expected. Yeah. We can assess that, but... Um, I mean, you could do it with the bike anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, we'll do it, get it down. We yep. can organise a roadworthy registration in Victoria, everything for you, and then you just pick it up and ride out like anything else. What about the other way around? If you want to sell us your bike, I mean, we, we do all the work if... Super easy. Yeah. So, we've got, like, all of the sales guys can do it, I can do it. We've got a dedicated buyer We've here got full-time team. buyers in every state. Yeah, so oh, sorry, every state that we're in anyway. Yeah. So if you if you want to sell your bike and you just need out of it, obviously we're not going to pay full retail price because we've got to check it over, service it, provide warranties and guarantees and pay my wage, pay your wage, pay for the rent on the building. But just come in or give us a call and we can do most of it over the phone, drop the bike off, we'll do a final pre-purchase inspection and then money gets transferred and you can straight away. Cool. Easy. Any other questions? Only, I only had the one. Yeah, same. All right. Um, I forgot to tell you before too, the Tom Fields almost finished all that content from the live wire day. Oh, so we should have that. It. Hopefully I get that tonight um, or the next couple of days. But 
early next week we'll have all that up and running. Yeah, awesome. I want to see how the drone shot looks. Yeah, I, well, I know he's excited about it, but he's a pretty excitable character. So <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, well, we might wrap that one here, mate. Thanks again. Uh, quick show is a good show. Pat? I feel oh. like it was an informative show. Absolutely. No, it was for sure. You've done real well. Um, if you guys have anything you want to know about when it comes to how shit works just hit us up um if you guys don't we'll just keep coming up with something i mean there's plenty of things we can learn about how shit works in a harley or in motorcycles in general so we'll include that in the show every week what have we got till christmas we got two weeks left yeah i think two weeks or oh, three weeks is it yeah this week next week the week after all right christmas so we'll, we'll probably have two shows actually hey two shows maybe. yeah we'll probably have two yeah. shows and then we're going to have a few weeks off i'm away for Two and a half weeks over Christmas. Um, oh, the marketing guy gets a couple of weeks off. Man, the retail guys say you got to keep working. I go to Bright every Christmas and oh, I really? have for wow. the last fucking 20 years. So, wow. um, How come Bright? don't know. It's just, we go Boxing Day. Yeah, right. Just with your family? Yeah, there's seven families. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I'm up there for like until like the 9th and then I come back and back at work on the 11th. Oh, wow. From boxing, I'm up there the whole time. Oh, that's pretty good. Anyway, none of you guys needed to know that. That's just a conversation between you and I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks, Hayes, for listening. A um, couple of shows left for the rest of the year. Um, as always, we appreciate your support. Um, yeah, anything you want to hear us talk about, let us know. If not, we'll uh, see you next week. See you, guys. <laughs>